Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid. So scared to do what I wanted In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made And I wish that I could talk to me And tell me I can change Don't be afraid Hi, welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson and I'm your host. Today is August 14th, 2012 and I am really, really out of breath from running no, <laughs> running down the hallway um, in my house but to have uh, Cindy Etler on my show today to talk about her new book, Straightling, a memoir by her. Uh, she has a... Um, uh, I just it just came in the mail today, Cindy. I'm going to bring her on. She is a teacher. She is an um, a, a an author, a published author. That's really awesome. And uh, she is a survivor of uh, Straight Ink, which was a. Um, but we'll just bring her on, and she can tell it in her words, which are much better than mine. So here we go. Hi, Cindy. You're on the air. Hey, Monica. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm really excited to have you on and uh and I did not I got so excited I did not open up a chat. I better do it quickly. There was probably people there in the room. <laughs> a little chat room there. Sorry guys if you're listening here, it's opening up now. Woohoo! So, um All right. All right. So uh let's begin with how old were you? Well, maybe there's some people who don't know what the straight, scared straight was. So you want to start off by just telling them what these straight ink places were all about. Um, there was the public face of Straight Incorporated, and then there was the actual um, reality of Straight Incorporated, and the two were very, very different phenomenon. Um, so I'll start with the public face. Basically, Straight was a drug rehab for adolescents uh, modeled on the tough love philosophy. Um, So that's that's how they marketed themselves, and their target audience was parents of teenagers who were acting, just teenagers who were acting bad, who Mm -hmm. the the parents didn't know how to deal with. And... Any parent could bring their kid to this place and sign them in. Now, this was the 80s, a um, lot less oversight, a lot less, you know, intervention from social services, things like that. So, mm-hmm. supposedly, it was a miracle cure for teenage drug addicts. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Then there was the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the reality is more complex. So... Let me try to start at the top of the braid and, and then try to unweave it from there. And please stop me if I should 
backtrack and explain anything better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay. And 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 some of this is sort of interpretation of those of us who were in there. So mm-hmm. perhaps bias, you know. Um, but on the other hand, we were in there, so we know what really happened. Okay. Now the so, film that came out that a lot of us saw. I mean, actually saw that movie that you know got all that attention. Um, it was in the seventies, and I was horrified uh, by what I saw. No. I was I was already uh, sober in quotes. I'll put it in AA. Um, but I people asked me what I thought, and I said that's that's horrible. That's ridiculous. You got to be right. kidding me. That's like right. really going on. And um, but so you are. Um, this was a long time ago. Yeah, I was. Um, I went into straight in 1985. And you were 14. You had just turned 14, right? Yeah, I had just turned 14. And okay, so straight was a drug rehab. I had smoked pot three times, trying mm-hmm. to smoke pot. You know, I didn't know how to smoke pot. I wanted to, but I didn't right. know. Right. And I had drank once, um, so I wasn't a drug addict. You know, I. Wow. So, yeah. So, why would your parents uh, bring you to a place like this? And let me ask you: Was it a free place, or did you actually have to pay for it? No, no. no it wasn't free. It was. God, I have the canceled check in the back of my fucking epilogue. I'll read you the figures. Um, on the for the first month, okay, for month, the initial check was. And this was 1985, mind you. Mm-hmm. First month, the fee was $2,074. And I have another check that I found in my mother's house um, for another, just a random month, was $775.49. So I was in there for 16 months. Wow. So the first month was two grand, and the next 15 months were 775 bucks. That's I mean, what is that amount to? Close to twenty thousand dollars for six wow. months. Yeah. Um, and were the uh, people who worked in there were they professional counselors with MFCC mm-hmm. at the end of their name? Tell me about the people who worked no, there. No, that's a it's a great question. Um, the the staff, the regular staff that we interacted with, twelve to sixteen hours a day, who decided our fate, doled out our punishments, et cetera. They were teenagers. They were teenagers who had gone through the straight program themselves and um, were sort of model straightlings, at least on the surface, and they Mm -hmm. were hired. And I believe former staff members in the community have have told us that it was like less than minimum wage. It wasn't much that they were paid by the hour, but straight was was 100% based on power. So if you could work yourself up to the top of the food chain and become a staff member, you had the ultimate power. And mm-hmm. that, I guess, that in itself can be addictive. The um, Then there were the adults, the executive staff, mm-hmm. um, and those people, <laughs> oh my gosh, I think it was on the uh, survivingstraightink.com website where there is just, um, just massive archives of data and documents, straight incorporated documents, I think it was there that mm-hmm. I found this document one time. It was an ad, an actual ad, seeking adult staff, counseling staff for Straight Incorporated. The requirement was that they have a marketing degree. Wow. Wow. So let's just think about that for a minute. A marketing degree to work at Straight and counsel, quote-unquote, adolescent drug addicts. Do you know how many of these places that, were around, like at the height of it? Oh, Do you know how many straighting places there were? Ooh, I should have that number. They were spread out across the United States. No, that's okay. I mean, I, we have some yeah. bloggers who might help put the question to how many, right, how many Probably. places. Probably. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I did read the beginning, and uh, for everyone, if who's listening, so we're talking to Cindy Etler, who wrote the straightling. She's a survivor of um, the uh, scared straight. Straight Inc. Uh, drug Rehab Insanity that went on, um, I think, from the 70s, right, until for 20 years or more? The 90s was when Straight was finally shut down, 93. 93. 
Uh, and her book is, um, from what I read, I, I did read some of your uh, childhood as well, which is pretty frightening in here. But um can talk about the way that she was treated. And if you go on Amazon.com, uh, you will be able to read uh, the way that she was treated when she uh, first went into a straight. You want to talk about that? Sure, sure. Um, I can talk about it. I can read you a couple pages yeah. from the book, whichever. Yeah, whichever way, whichever way you want. I mean, it's great, great reading. I think that get this into the hands of yeah. some teenagers and. Uh, um, Absolutely, love the cover. And it is. Love the cover. It's really killer. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Awesome cover. Okay. So yeah, go ahead. Read. Read or tell us um, what how they treated you when you first went into straight ink as a fourteen year old, just turning fourteen. Okay. Um, well, I will skip over the initial. You know, when we walked into the place. And yeah. Behind the counter, there were teen robots. Like, what is going on here? These people have slacks on. You know, with the spinning eyes, just nothing. Mm. Nothing in there. Um, and then some lady, some adult, um, came and said, send me her this way through gritted teeth. And we went into her office, and she started asking me questions and um, basically kind of tricked me into saying, you know, for instance, you know, do you go to church, Cindy? Oh, I go to church. Yep, I go to church because I could tell something was wrong. And do you take communion? Oh, I do. I, I take communion. I'm really churchy. And um, she said, do you have grape juice for communion? Or, and I was like, no, no, I, I'm an adult now. I'm a big kid. I, I can drink the real communion. She said, you told me you don't drink alcohol. So I drank the communion wine. And that meant that I had lied to her about whether or not I drank alcohol. Oh, my God. That was silly. Did I explain that clear enough? Like, you know, first she said, have you drank alcohol? No, I don't drink. I don't drink alcohol. Right. So that was kind of the way that they worked. They would manipulate facts so that you were what they wanted you to be so they could present to your parents the fact that your child is a major alcoholic and you need to sign her into this place and hand over the money. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and then she she also, um, you know, my, my childhood home was violent and abusive, and, and um, when I hit puberty, I started reacting to that, as so many teenagers do. They're docile right. when they're little kids, and then they get those hormones, and they start fighting back, which is what I did. Um, and this, this intake counselor, of course, had that scoop from my mother, and she used that as evidence that I was a druggie. I was fighting with my family. I was a druggie. Okay, so oh. so using that type of information, she um, was able to quote unquote prove to my mother that I was a drug addict. And my mother was so desperate to kind of get me off of her hands that she was relieved. Oh, somebody has di- has diagnosed the problem. It's mm-hmm. not me. It's my daughter. Okay, so. Right. I will read to you a section. Um, I'll read to you a section from when those weird teen robots came to her office door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we have a bunch of people in the chat room. I don't know. Are you are you on the page or are you just on the phone? Um, I will open my computer and go to that. Let's see. Let's see. I'm just going to say hi, Monica. Hi, Sue. ETP has logged in. So we have some people from some of the blogs. There's Rainbow, which is Danita. Sue, Emily Coy, ETP, hi. Hi, hi, hi. Um, welcome. And then there's some anonymous guests in the room. Um, somebody had asked how long ago. Uh, did this happen to you? So at first I wrote 20 years, but um, it was 25 years ago because it took five years to write the book, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. It was was a scam. Somebody wrote, what a scam, and we're like, yeah, and we want to, you know, uh, um, as you're looking this up, let me know when you get to the place where you want to read, but um, just talking to the people out here that Cindy and I were talking on Sunday, and uh, what we might do is um, a part one and part two, because um, there is so much of this. We want to talk about what happened back then, 
um, what happened to Cindy, and uh, and then um, maybe what's happening now. Maybe a bunch of bloggers, or maybe mm. already know um, if mm. some of the stuff has changed names, it still exists that we can kind of uncover this and uh, get it mm-hmm. to be exposed full length. You know what I mean? Did you find the place that you wanted okay. to read? Yes, I did. Okay. I did, and um, right. I think this is, and I'm happy to read some different chunks of the book if you know if different topics come up and and you think your listeners will be interested. Um, but this particular section is one that I have the sample chapter up on my website, mm-hmm. and I'm going to read this one now because it really is indicative of the change, the reality of the real world, and then the the like dropping of the reality of straight. Okay, so this this is the scene where um, my mother has just said goodbye to me. I'm I'm like screaming and and I'm being held back by these weird big teenagers and I'm screaming wow. at my mother, "Don't leave me here!" And she just kind of turns and walks away. Um, wow. Okay, so this is so this is the start of the next chapter. Okay. And um, the the setting is this little beige intake room. It's just one of those like those big bricks that are painted beige with that thick, sticky kind of paint. Little yeah, tiny room. cinder block, cinder block walls. Uh-huh. Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. Okay, so this is from chapter nine, and the chapter is No Getting Out of Seat Without Permission. Okay. The beige room gets even smaller when more people cram in. The door guys alone take up half the space, plus now another guy and girl are in here too. The rep chick calls them staff when they walk in. The staff guy says they're going to see if I'm carrying. Then he says, drop your pants and underwear, bend over. And do I have a choice? Hey, should I, this is me interrupting for a second, should I refrain from swearing or can I swear? Oh, you can swear, yeah. Oh, good, okay. So back to the book. Do I have a choice? They're behind me now and I can feel them all looking at me. My fingers are on my toes and my face, red and slimy, is the size of a beach ball. I've used tears today that have been in storage for 14 years. I don't know who's doing this, the guy or the girl staff, but I hear the snap of a rubber glove. Two hands peel my butt apart harder and farther than it wants to get peeled. It hurts, but I don't say ow. Some words cut through the swirl in my head. Clean? (laughs) I wouldn't say clean, but drug-free. There's laughter and another rubber snap. Cindy, your intake's over. Bring her to the group. Wow. Then it's Barrett Chick's voice with an edge around it. Pull your pants up, Cindy. I pull my stuff up without a word like I've been following orders all my life. I'm still buttoning when a hand scrapes down my back again. I throw my arms out to steady myself as I'm dragged toward the door. My top button stays undone. I guess I'll I'll stop there. But Oh, my God. That, See, I, I read that, and I, I think I read it to Amy when we were traveling, and... um. We were in like one of the hotel rooms, uh, and I was just like, we were both so furious. We were like pacing around the the thing. So <laughs> these were um, older teenagers or uh, people in their twenties that were actually doing this to you. They were older teenagers. Now I was one of the younger ones to go in there. Um, I think a lot of kids were more like fifteen, sixteen. Like they they'd had time to act bad before their parents locked them up. Um, but these were just older teenagers. So anybody who had graduated, quote unquote, from straight and wanted to get on staff, pretty much get on staff. Um, did you file a lawsuit? Is was there a is there a lawsuit that got filed? Okay, that's a good question. Um, first, I'll answer the question as far as myself. No, I did not. And I think the reason for that is um, I was fucked up for a long time. You know, it didn't ever occur to me. Uh, it didn't occur to me until I was probably in my early 20s that that would even be something to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, this is a side note, when I started going to therapy at that time at about age 20 and I told my mother I was going to therapy, here's what she said. You're going to therapy? Does that mean you're going to sue me? Okay, so wow. there's that little little bitter <laughs> little bitter chew for you. Um, but wow. back to the lawsuit 
question. Yes. A lot of people in the survivor community have talked about trying to do a mass um, class action suit, and I guess the statute of limitations has run out, is my understanding on that. Um, another piece of it is Straight Incorporated itself was closed down in 93 due to lawsuits, and I'll get to that one next. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. So I don't know. Perhaps the founders of you know a pot of gold, but I haven't I haven't pursued that. But some did. There um, again in the epilogue of my book, there are some I think really interesting firsthand documents. Um, one of them is from a guy named Fred Collins who sued, and he got forty thousand in compensatory and one hundred and eighty thousand in punitive damages. And there's another hero um, named Karen Norton who got $721,000 in a lawsuit. So oh, that's some good. people got their act together and did, yeah. Right, and these are, I'm looking at this now in the back of the book, so I see um, that you have this. I don't see a date, but that's 1990. That happened for with um, Fred Collins. Good for Fred. Maybe he'll be on my show. Are you in contact with yeah. these two people? You know what? I'm not, um, mm-hmm. but I am in contact with some amazing, unbelievable archivists and activists who kind of know everybody. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if you know. I don't know if they know him, but um, you know, there are people out there who are masters who who kind of know everything about this. So. Well, th- th- no, I mean, I've heard about this that this went on with this um, strip searching and the cavity searching. Mm-hmm. That sounds to me like mm-hmm. prison. Um, it's what is mm-hmm. what they do in prison. That this uh, happened mm-hmm. to a whole generation of our children, of a whole generation. Uh, you figure that in late seventies uh, till ninety five, it was shot down, or ninety three. We're talking almost twenty years. That's a whole generation of people that are your age, they're now 40, mm-hmm. who have been through this. Um, do you I, do you have numbers of, like, how many kids went through straight? I'm sorry, I'm asking you these strange, you know, like, fact no. numbers. But. That's okay. And it makes me wish that I was some of these other women that I mentioned um, who yeah, really okay. have all their stuff together. Um, there was one estimate that I read that was 50,000. Uh, and then I had uh, other people saying that's that's more than would have been possible if right. you know somebody did the algebra of it. Um, when I let's see if we can do a loose figure. When I went in to the Springfield branch, there were about 300 kids. Peak of straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there were 300 kids, and let's say there were only 10 branches, mm-hmm. that would be. 3,000 kids mm-hmm. at that one moment? And there were more than that, so I don't know. Thousands. Right, that? right. Thousands and thousands. No, yeah, it's not important. We have some great bloggers out there who will love to do research. And um, So we're mm. talking to, if you, just, uh, if you just chimed in, we're talking to um, Cindy Etler, uh, full name Cindy Drew Etler, her memoir, Straightling, who is a uh, more than a survivor, let's call you a thriver and a survivor um, mm-hmm. of the Straight Inc., Insanity, uh, phony drug rehab, uh, bullshit galore that went on and really harmed mm-hmm. these children. So, um, I really want you to, you know, talk about whatever you want to talk about. I'm going to have you on again for another hour. Uh, you just told us this hideous way that uh, you had these people sticking their hands up your cavity, your private parts. Mm-hmm. What's the next thing that you want to tell me and the listeners? Oh, do you mean literally what happened ten minutes after that, or or what are some of the other and low anything you know if you if you want to tell me then what happened right after that, do it or you want you know I'm really um I haven't read the whole I, book yet, but um I think what I'll do is I will read another um little section about what I saw when they walked me into the group room, okay. Okay. Uh, let me just find that. Mm. Wow, Somebody saying it happens in county detoxes, too. I can vouch for that. Mm. Wow. Mm. Um, mm. 
um, you know, and now they think they can fill us up going through the TSA. It's really you know, mm-hmm. take away more of my rights. Don't get me started, girl. Well, yeah. But I but I will anytime. Uh, keep their hands yeah. off of me. Uh, yeah. All right. So, what chapter are you going to read from? Okay, this is just a little bit further along in Chapter 9 um, because it really is the introduction into, you know, it, it illustrates um, the the shock of entering that place, which for listeners who aren't familiar with Straight Incorporated would be where we would start. Um, you know, the first, oh, my God, what the fuck is this? Right, right. And I want to try to explain, and it's very difficult to explain this, and, um, you know, when I was writing the book and I was teaching – I would read my students, and these are all, you know, little ex-convicts, kids in the alternative school. Um, I would read them parts of the book and get their feedback as I was writing, and and um, every like none of them understood what the hell I was talking about with with this next thing that I'm about to describe, and I had to demonstrate it for them, which was awkward. This thing that I'm about to describe is called belt looping. Belt okay. looping. Okay. Okay. And. Um, it was the way that you were controlled. It was the way in which you were physically controlled by other kids who had been in the program longer. So so kids who had earned the trust of the staff, mm-hmm. they literally like drove you around if you were a newcomer. Okay, The way they drove you around, the way they literally controlled your body was this. Um, Picture the back of a pair of pants. There's that one belt loop at the center of the back. Right. Okay, picture somebody standing behind you and and putting their thumb through that middle belt loop. Mm -hmm. And the rest of their fingers, they curl those fingers down into the inside of the waistband. Mm -hmm. And then they, so, so the thumb is through the belt loop, the rest of the fingers are in the back of the waistband, and then they kind of yank it up your ass. Right, right. So, so they're, they, they are clenched onto your pants. If you try to run, they gotcha, you know. So wow. So they're steering you around like that, and this is humiliating. You're a teenager mm-hmm. surrounded by other teenagers, and you're being steered around literally by somebody's hand in pants. Um, so that was how... I was belt looped. I was carried by the belt loop um, into the back of the group room after this, after this scene with the rubber glove. Wow. So I'm walking back of this room with hundreds of my peers, all of them strangers, and so this is how it went. At the end of the hall, the silent girl leans on an industrial door, then shoves me into a massive room, and it makes no sense, no sense. In front of me is a heaving beast made of hundreds of human bodies. The only sound coming from this beast is its thrushy breathing and this weird fleshy clicking. The body of the beast is fighting itself. The top half of it is arms and arms and arms, waving and bending, snapping toward the ceiling, and hundreds of heads shaking and nodding, but not saying yes or no, just back and forth, up and down, nodding hard, like the devil nod. The bottom half of it, the bodies under the heads, are pogo sticks straight, bouncing up and down in rows of blue plastic chairs. It's a photograph of hell. I'm pushed across a huge, empty half of the room, closer to the rattling mass of chairs. Hundreds of backs are to me, but a few faces twist around and look. Their pistoning arms keep going up over their heads, the eyes go on forever, like the Land O'Lakes Indian picture. There's nothing in those eyes to connect with. We find the last row of chairs. The beast's energy pings all over me, pop rocks dumped in a tongue. It's bad, but no kind of bad I've felt before. It's terror pretending to be tough. The spine of the beast is an aisle down the middle of the chairs. At the tip of the spine is the head. Two more teens on side-by-side bar stools. So a blonde girl smiles at me. It's a hungry kind of smile. From the left one, a guy looks across the bashing sea of heads. Stop, he goes, and the beast falls flat. Every hand, every arm and head, they all collapse at once. Incoming, 
he says. The million-headed beast turns its black hole eyes on me. On the left are boys. On the right are girls that look like boys. No makeup, no long hair, and many, way too many third-eyebrow barrettes. The barstool guy does a tiny frowning nod, and an intercom blares out of the silent girl. This is Cindy. She went to Massac High School in Connecticut. She says she's hot and alcohol. My jeans are shanked farther up my ass as the beast makes its voice heard. Hi, Cindy. Love you, Cindy. Wow. Wow. Um, This is really horrifying to me. Um, So you are here for almost two years. Um, And one of the things that, um, because I, you know, just got a hold of your book, uh, that I noticed that in the chapter you just read from, on page 91, there's something called the seven steps. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, for (laughs) listeners out here, this is what it says, guys. It says, admit I am powerless over blank and that came to believe in a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. To make a decision to turn... Wait a second, this sounds kind of familiar. Wait a minute, what's step three? Maybe searching in fearless moral inventory. Five, admit it to God, to myself. Hmm. Five, admit direct amends. Six, seek through prayer. So, this is a combination of Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps. That means that whoever created it was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Is that correct? I don't know if they were members of Alcoholics Anonymous or if they were co-opting um, a program that they could slap onto the face of their scam to make it marketable or palatable, you know, to make it something recognizable. Mm. Um, um, well, I mean, I, you know, I would not going to presume, but from being mm. an insider for so long, I would say that I'm not sure that they were, right. and those are the kind right. of people that ran it, and they're vindictive, and mm. they're, not all of them, but um, mm. anyone who was there who would actually use this as their a program for children uh, is it's actually so deplorable, and I'm glad some people sued, and um, mm. I wish that uh, for you that you could sue somebody for the harms done, isn't there some kind of statute where if you don't realize the harm, that once you realize it, when, when they did those, um, when people had repressed memory, and so that if you, I'm not sure about that, but uh, it does seem like our, and I know maybe I'm jumping ahead here, so, um, but you, it's so so many years passed, and then you know it took you five years of your life to write this book, right? Um, yeah. yeah. It is, um, so is there a documentary that's going to come out? Yes, there is. It is called Surviving Straight Inc., and um, a good mighty handful of survivors uh, teamed up with some genius filmmakers, um, and it's it's not been released yet. I don't have a date for when it will be released, um, but I have seen um, an early edition of it, and it's it's phenomenal. And if you go to um, if you go to the website, Surviving Straight Ink, the documentary, you can see stills from the movie, and um, that's particularly interesting to me because. The actors for the for the you know the people who are actors in those movie stills, the makeup artist is a genius, and she made them look like straightlings, with the weird translucent skin and the like rose-colored bags under the eyes, mm. and those actors' facial expressions, the fury and horror at the same time, and. Zombie, it's it's phenomenal. If if this is making you curious, I suggest. Wow, yeah, I am because I remember seeing the ad, you know, maybe over a year ago on Stinking Thinking, and mm-hmm. we all were watching it, and I was thinking, hoping that it would be out, but I I guess you'll keep us in touch, and maybe even mm-hmm. when um you know the film does get released, if we could interview the director or the producers. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm I sure can't wait brilliant. to see that. I'm really yeah. really excited. So. Um, 
how what would you say was uh, you know i mean obviously the cavity searching for me is the worst but then you get have to endure um mm-hmm. the fall the winter the spring and the summer and another fall and the winter and the, right so mm-hmm. what what hap- what are some of the other um things that happened in this uh in straight ink rehab that you were in in Connecticut you know the one i was in i started out in one in springfield virginia oh springfield virginia Mm-hmm. And then they opened one up in Stoughton, Massachusetts, which was closer to my home. So um, they actually never got to Connecticut. They never got that far, which is mm-hmm. funny because that's where all the money is. Um, but anyway, and on that note, if I can slip in an aside, um, yeah. I came from poverty. I was like food stamp kid, free milk ticket kid. I was poor kid. Mm-hmm. However, my father had died when I was a year old, Um and my mother used money. Now I think it may have been um, the Social Security money coming to me right. from my father's death. Right. Um, back then I thought it was the college money that, you know, I thought he had left college money. But right. um, I don't know why I want to make that clear, but I wasn't a rich kid going into that. I was a poor kid, and, you know, my mother used that bit of money that should have been for my college education to pay for this place. Um, wow, wow. But anyway, you asked about other experiences. Believe it or not, the cavity search was far from the worst because that had an ending. There was a moment where that was over. Um, the The real torture of the place is almost impossible to describe in words, which is actually why I had to write the book. And if you remind me, I'll I'll get back to that. Mm-hmm. Later, I want to try to address your question. Um, the the worst things that happened in there were um, in in a broad sense, it was the complete fear and isolation. Um, and I hate to draw this parallel, um, but the things that come to mind for me as as Comparative experiences are a concentration camp or a prison, and mm-hmm. I think in those kinds of settings, you need to look the fuck out for the guard or the Nazi. You know who the bad guys are, but at the very least, you have this little shred of comfort in your peers. You have this little, little shred of perhaps even kindness in having somebody that you can feel close to. Right. Um, not not so in straight, and I think that's what it boils down to. For me, mm-hmm. that was the very worst of it. Um, you know, um, oh, God, the classic movie about the kids cannibalizing each other, the, the classic book, Lord of the Flies. Yeah. It really was. I mean, there was no there was no Andy Dufresne moment like from Shawshank Redemption, where those two guys are two mm-hmm. buddies, right? They find each other and they no. befriend their friends. Not there's, for me. There's no... Not for me. No. Wow. And some people have said I've read, you know, in the survival community, people have said that um, this guy was cool when he was my host brother. He didn't report me for this. I never had that, and and mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure a lot of other people didn't either because it it was. Cannibalism. The only way that you could get yourself safe in there, and the only way that you could, yeah, really, the only way you could make yourself safe was to be attacking somebody else. Because if you were attacking somebody else, and I know this is perhaps not making sense for listeners without any of the background, but psychologically, you had to be attacking somebody else to make yourself beyond reproach. If if you're on top it, attacking somebody else, that means you're the good guy. You're doing the right thing. Right, right, right. It's so uh, hard to explain. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's uh, understandable because in I went to a place called Habilitat, um, which was on the windward side of Oahu in the mid-70s mm-hmm. where they were, it was a really, I mean, I don't know what it cost, but it was a heroin addict place to people were sending their kids and it was a brutal place. There, that was a. Uh, I remember hearing the guy's name who ran it. I wish sure we could Google Habilitat. Um, and they shaved their heads, so it was like mm. a hippie period of time. So mm. 
that was all about shaving the heads and making them act, you know, um, different, and the screaming and confront confrontational screaming uh, with each other, and then the kids got to be the bullies, um, and so they kept, you know, just kind of what you're talking about. And I remember bringing a meetings, or I forget how or why a group of us young people went, and I was like just horrified by it. Um, you know, I bet that Habilitat, and I'm going to try to pull it up on Google right now, I bet that Habilitat is a derivative of the cult Synanon, which straight also was a derivative of, um, and Synanon was the original creator of something called attack therapy. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, that like really Synanon is, is like the grand poobah of all this. And um, mm-hmm. what you're saying about Habilitat, it really sounds like the same. Yeah, it's really, really horrible. Um, and so, I mean, you seem, I've looked at your picture online, and you see with your doggies and the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how? What happened to you? I mean, do you want to talk more still about what went on there? You Some tell of, me whatever, you know, what, 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 what you're curious about or what your listeners are curious about. Yeah, if anybody wants to um, call in and ask uh, Cindy a question about her experience there, you can call in 818-475-9211, or you can ask in the chat room um, a question for Cindy. Uh, And for those just chiming in now, I'm talking to uh, Cindy Drew Etler, who has written the memoir Straightling. She is a survivor, and I'm going to call you a thriver, and a freaking winner, Mm -hmm. empowered F woman who is writing this um, story of the horror that she spent two years at Straight Inc. Uh, And again, 818-475-9211. Well, you know, I'll ask you this. Um, uh, What was the program based on, you know, besides bullying and um, these fabulous, ridiculous uh, seven steps of Alcoholics Anonymous that were shrunk into seven what yes. did you do there, like all day? And what? isn't that a great question? What did you do there? Yeah, what did you the do? There? Oh, I, wait, wait, let me see. You were at you oh. were meetings. So were they big book meetings? Were they big book oh, in twelve and twelve? Oh. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's funny. It's funny what you're saying. It's I don't know. I must be fucked in the head if I'm laughing about this. It's just it's mind boggling. We went into that building at nine in the morning. Mm-hmm. We did not get out of that building until nine o'clock at night. Although on Mondays oh and Fridays we often didn't get out of the building until one o'clock in the morning. Wow. So while we were in that building for twelve to sixteen hours a day, oh one God. of the things we did. Yeah, one of the things we did was we sang preschool songs. We sang Little Bunny Foo Foo. We wow. sang I Am a Little Teapot, and we sang songs about Straight Incorporated one of which had lyrics that went, hear it straight, feel great, nine to nine, feel fine, like indoctrinating ourselves into the idea that sitting oh my God. from nine in the morning till nine at night, it felt fine, fine. I mean, it's funny. It's so fucked up. It's funny, and this shit, I mean, it happened. I don't know why that song really excited me. Um, but here's what we did. We were in there, nine in the morning, and then we had, quote-unquote, rap after rap after rap, which meant hour-long sessions where we sat ramrod straight in a chair, like our bodies were a series of 90-degree angles, mm. um, feet flat on the floor, your back was not allowed to touch the back of your chair, your hips were pressed to the back of the seat, and the, those people that I told you that had gained more trust those people who would drag you around by the belt loop. Yeah. They would walk around behind you when you sat in your chair and jam their fists down your spine. It was, I mean, physically weird. Like, there was definitely outright physical abuse, and then there was this constant low-level physical sexual abuse um, that your peers were doing to you. So. You oh, my God. Straight. So physical and sexual abuse that your peers were doing to you? Like, oh, uh, oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, I I don't know. It's I don't. I'm like absolutely like it's a common. Of course, of course. Isn't that what wow. Well, I, yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's a, it's amazing that you um 
you know, I mean, I know that you've had a lot of years to do all the work you have to heal, you know, from this and yeah. from the harm that happened to you. Uh, I, I started to get Harper's Magazine when I began exposing or trying to expose what was going on in Alcoholics Anonymous today, and um, nobody would, you know, LA Times wouldn't write about it, the New York Times, nobody. I started writing letters to everybody, and so I decided to just get a magazine, you know, and random. And so I got Harper's Magazine because it's, you know, uh, actually maybe, have you ever submitted, like, something to there for, like, magazines? Not to Harper's. Get Harper's. Right, right. Think about yeah. this. Any any writer out there, I really encourage, I think this is one way that you could, you already have a book, you could maybe cut a piece out of it and uh, because they like mm. to promote the 12 steps sometimes. But long story short, there were was a photo um, piece where there were no words. And, oh, my God, uh, if I give you the, the month and the date, uh, it was last year, of the imprisoning of our children. Uh, that this photographer up in, um, I believe in San Francisco or Santa Barbara, it might be Santa Barbara, uh, did these photo um, photo ops, you know, of the children that have been. There was a little girl who looked like she was nine, and she her her little ankles were, um, you know, had chains on them, and there was a picture of a young. I was out of my mind. I was so upset. And I kept it, and I just kept it for a while, and I opened it up and so that I could see this, and I thought, oh, I'm going to contact this guy and tell him what I'm doing, and, you know, we could join forces in changing what's going on in our country. So sadly to say, since you were in Straight Inc. and out in the privatization of prisons, I just got myself a book to learn more about what happened and when it happened and what's going on, that this whole thing with a children's detention um, centers and camps, which they're calling them, yeah. um, but they've sort of made them. Right. Like, you know, Straight Ink was Straight Ink off on its own, but yeah. now AA and Twelve Step has gotten yeah. so immersed. Like, I mean, that whole story that happened in Pennsylvania, wow. where the two judges were getting kickbacks. Remember that story where the mother was screaming? Or they got it on camera last year. You know, you know, oh, you, you didn't, didn't see that see story. I didn't see it. Oh, uh, I didn't see it. No, okay. Well, what happened with this story, so two judges, you can go on leaving AA or stinking thinking and go in the archives of, and in fact, they finally were sentenced. So it was a quick, you know, there was a a hearing. These two judges were getting kickbacks in a couple of million dollars, sentencing kids who actually did very little to these private detention centers, Cindy. And, you know, all of us on the blog were trying to see the connection between AA and IT, but in the beginning and in the news right. coverage, there was none. But the kid killed himself when he came out. He hung him, and the mother went like ballistic and blamed the detention center. But then there was an investigation proving the judge who was sentencing these teenagers was getting a kickback. And I'm telling you, it's going on in L.A. and it's going to, it's going, who knows where else and what city today. Like if somebody, you know, we want to uncover some of the other stuff to think about everybody out there. So that if you get sentenced to a DUI, you get a DUI, and you have to go to a drug class, I want you to find out if it's privately mm. owned, who are the owners, mm. who owns that, and is it a judge, and is it his wife? That's illegal, and that's the way we can get them. Mm. Where, you know how people this need to dig. I need to, you know, and so here we yeah. are back at. Oh my God, this is just. Um, we're talking to Cindy Etler. And she is the author of Straightling. And we have about 11 minutes left. We're going to have her on again for another hour uh, next month. So, you know, you've just described to me that you were physically and sexually um, abused by peers. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, did you have school? You were singing nursery rhymes. Is any, does anybody else write a book that's yeah, documented? Yeah, um, there are some books out there. I do not think they are currently in publication. The only one that I know of, and people have been talking about find it and having a hard time, is written by a British author. It's fictionalized about her brother being in there. Um, oh my gosh, I the name. Oh, that's is okay. It doesn't really matter. Right no, that's okay. Well, we do have your book, so. Get get Cindy's book, Straightling. Get it on Amazon. You can get her on her site. Came really quick. It got here uh, in two days. And uh, 
But, you know, this is really, um, you know what, uh, one of the guys, Sal, um, TC, what does TC stand for? Um, he's writing about, Sal was a, um, you were a social worker, right? He said, Phoenix House and Daytop Village still use such learning experiences as sweeping the sun as punishment, whereby somebody would literally sweep the sun off the roof of the building as the sun's shadow receded in the sky. Wow. There were lots of suicides, Sal, oh. right here in the, in the in the chat room. Lots of suicides due to other upperclassmen inmates of the of the TC bebbing sadistic towards lower class inmates. Um, wow. Through cardinal yeah, rules of LOP. It's a phenomenon. It's I think these places kind of learn from you know, their predecessors and as much as activists have, have done phenomenal work to get these places shut down, they're like mushrooms, you know. One of them, two of them shut down, and then these new ones crop up. And I would like to throw a cherry bomb out there. You were talking about the judges getting kickbacks. Um, I hope I don't end up shot in the head tomorrow when I go out in the street for saying this, but there are links between Mitt Romney and Bain Capital and these places. Um, and there's a good deal of information about this on the internet from reliable sources. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll throw out a couple of websites if, if you'd like me to so people can read about it. Yeah, this. yeah, go ahead. Throw out those website, websites. Hoping, okay. um, the, one I'm, the one I'm looking at right now is the WASP Diaries, W-W-A-S-P Diaries. WASP was another straight-like facility. This is another one of these abusive facilities. Um, on the WASP Diaries website, there is a post called Mitt Romney, A Voice of Freedom and Hope, Not for America's So-Called Troubled Youth. So that's one. If you just go to WASP Diaries, you'll find it. Okay, uh, WASP, W-A-S-P. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, can you just spell it again? It's two W's. Yeah, W-W-A-S-P Diaries. Okay. Um, I'll go there right after, so you hear that. It's www.asp um, diaries.com. A connection with the Bain Capital and Mitt Romney. Um, get that over to the Obama, um, the Obama um, people. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty. Uh, um, and Ron. Yeah, it's, so, it's the exact yeah. same thing. I think is what you're talking about about the judges. You know, powerful people. Um, benefiting from this industry. I won't even try to get started on what we should be doing instead. That's a whole other couple hours. Yeah, so are you, um, I mean, obviously, I know because I'm making a documentary as well, exposing what I found and educating people on the more seen choices like SMART and SOS and Amy Lee Coy is developing a project and, um, you know, weekend um, workshops and Hank Hayes has On Track and Beyond uh, and then there's people who just read books, you know, and, and stop their behavior, and there's Recovering from Recovery, a great new site that is uh, troll-free, or I guess, uh, but I think that um, you, when you write the book, so you've written the book, and you, there's that mode, uh, we can't do all the, the, I've tried, and it's impossible to do all the activism. So now you're in marketing mode, we want to mm-hmm. market this book, and where do you see, now I want to just say, she's going to be on NPR, how about plug that, you're going to be on, you sent me an email, you're going to be. This is fantastic. Yeah. You're going to be on NPR when? I know. It's Monday, um, Monday the twentieth, and it is. Um, it's the Charlotte, North Carolina NPR station. It's a program called Charlotte Talks. It will be nine a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it's wfae. dot org. WFAE.org. So if you, um, you go to WFAE.org, and if you if you're there and you go to Charlotte Talks. Okay, Charlotte Talk. I'm going to write it down. Uh, you know, I'd really like to see you, like on a show like Tavis Smiley. And one of the things that I did learn from you know doing some grass, what they call it, guerrilla marketing with um, music is that other people who, you know, get excited about what you're doing in your book and how, you know, the truth needs to be told, is that somebody like me or anybody out there, if you get a hold of Cindy's book and, you know, a local, a local show, even you can get on local television, 
um, so your channel nine or your channel five, mm-hmm. and you contact them and say, you know, there's this amazing book that's exposed what Scared Straight was about. Would you have her on to talk about her book? And you, you know, you just never know. Uh, somebody uh, else's kid, yeah. or you know, that's kind of a grassroots thing that uh, you know. Uh, I hope that you can really um, sell millions and millions and millions of this, these books. And, and so, what are what are you doing now? What kind of um, besides promoting your book? What kind of work do you do? I know what you do, but our listeners uh, don't. I've done a bunch of pot spoiling. I'm, I'm, as you said, working on the promotional stuff for the book. And great stuff happening with that. Um, I also have decided after two years out of the classroom to really focus on finishing the book. I just got a dream job going back into the classroom part-time. I'll be working at a detention school with the kids I love, the throwaway kids, and um, basically just just working my ass off to get them realizing that reading is actually a hell of a lot of fun if... You can get your hands on good books that speak to you and 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 speak to your life. Um, so that's that's awesome. That's coming up. And I'm also at work um, editing the prequel to Straightling, which is called Coiled, and that's the story of the it's the story of the childhood that would lead a child to being put into a facility like Straight. Mhm. Mhm. Um. So, that takes up most of my time. What's that? What'd you say? Those, those kinds of things take up most of my time. That, doing that, the that's a lot. That, I mean, that's a lot work. of stuff. You, you know what? Yeah. I want to tell you what's a guy. Yeah. I'm sorry. But there's a guy, Sal, who wrote here. He's talking about that some people are choosing prison over these communities because the word is out about them. Um, that they make them wear, he, he actually said that they made them wear, maybe you can relate to humiliating signs of negative reinforcement all day that would say, for example, I'm a big baby, I cannot be trusted, I hate oh, myself. Yeah. Well, that, that, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> we got to join forces, girl. Give him a choice. If I could go back in time and, and I was given a choice, knowing what I know, prison, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Wow. That's pretty bad. Mm. Um, we have like three mm. minutes left. Uh, so you're going to be on NPR. Uh, I would love to see your book made into a film. Yeah. Um, I would... somebody expressing interest in that. I, I brand brand new thing as of this morning, so I won't say anything else about it. But everybody who hears about this and, and reads any part of the book is like, movie, movie, bleep, bleep. Yeah. So, well, it just, I, it's, I suspect that will happen at some point. I think so, too. Uh, so this middle of the book, we have the seven steps here. Um, I want to say that, uh, well, when we were talking, one of the things Cindy said to me was that it was written so that a, a teenager uh, could read it. They could pick it up, and it was going to be in that language. What made you decide to write it this way? You know, I don't think it was a conscious decision. I just mm-hmm. um, started writing, and it was channeling. You know, you hear authors say this all the time. The characters speak to me. Well, mine is nonfiction. It wasn't a character speaking to me. It was me. It was me from Pandora's box of me from that age, 4.30 in the morning, I sat down to write. The rest of the world was not alive yet, and boom, it just came out. And I can't, I mean, talk about feeling alive. That is when I am alive, sister, let me tell you. So that's how it came out, and, um, you know, I'm not one to censor. The book is full of F-bombs. And... I didn't know that it was going to be deemed a YA book until I talked to editors, you know, at the big publishing houses. They were like, this is a YA book. So, okay, it's a YA book, but it has that crossover appeal, like The Twilight and The Hunger Games, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 14-year-old narrator, but it's it's a universal experience that, you know the declaration mm. and the and the longing for peer acceptance and not getting it and the heartbreak of that and 
Well, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being on. Um, you can go to um, Amazon and get the book Straightling by a memoir by Cindy Drew Etler. You can go to her website, which is uh, cindyetler.com. Uh, you can see about you can buy your book right here, right at the Cindy Etler website. Yep. She's got a blog. She's got a media yep, kit. Um, all of it there. Uh, I want to thank you so much uh, for writing the book, for uh, getting back in contact with me from over a year ago. I think when I first contacted you. Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and uh, we'll see you all in two weeks. I'm going to upload an um, an old show, an older show next week, and I'll be back. Uh, thanks again, Cindy. This is Monica Richardson of Blog Talk Radio Safe thank Recovery. You. Yes, empowerment, not powerless, and. Uh, I will talk to you later. We'll have you back next month. Sound okay, good? awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks so much. Absolutely. Indeed. Okay. Good night, everybody. Good night. Okay. Bye-bye. Good night. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.